Well, hey, if we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Bryce, and I serve here as our pastoral intern, which means, in essence, that I get to learn from a lot of amazing people, and I get to preach the Word of God from time to time, which is today is one of those days, and so I'm excited to be with you. I'm excited to continue our series that we're in, as the screen shows, called Outside the Box. And if you were with us last week, whether you're in person, whether you're online, you saw us think outside the box from week one of this series, and we streamed Pastor Chad into the sanctuary from the auditorium, and we heard him introduce the series to us, introduce this concept of what thinking outside the box even looks like, and tell us that we're going to be in the book of Acts. So if you've got a Bible with you, I want you to turn there with me. You can go ahead and prep. I'll, I'll tell you where we're going in just a moment. But in the book of Acts is where we're going to be camping out this morning, and this morning I believe with my whole heart that when the Holy Spirit shows up, things begin to shift. When the Holy Spirit shows up in your life, things begin to shift. When the Holy Spirit shows up in a room just like this one or the one you're in at home, things begin to shift. And I believe that today is another opportunity for the Holy Spirit to shift some things in our life. When I was in early high school, I was on the soccer team all throughout my time in high school at Lexington High School here in town. And I went down to practice one day after school got over. And I walked down to practice and, and, and one of my friends on the team came up to me and they were already laughing about something. And they came over to me and they said, Bryce, I got a funny story I got to tell you. And they told me a story about how earlier that day in science class, the teacher was doing an experiment. Now, I wasn't in this class, so I had no idea what he was talking about. But it's this, this teacher in the science class doing an experiment. Apparently, the experiment exploded. It went all over the teacher, all over the class. It was a very disgusting thing to even picture in my mind. But it was funny. But, you know, in that moment, he, he said something to me at the end of that story he told me, and it went a little like this. Maybe you've heard it before. Man, you just had to be there. You just had to be there. You see, because he understood that no matter how hard I, I tried to understand the comedy behind that story, the point was I wasn't there when it happened. And I believe that uh, during Jesus' time here on earth, there were many, many people where, where, where Jesus would call people to come from miles around just because of the things he was doing, just because of the truth he was speaking. And they would see him do these things. They would hear him say these things. And what they would do in response is they would go and tell others, hey, you won't believe what I saw today. You won't believe the things that I heard this man say today. But when they said those things to their friends, to their communities, to their families, no matter how hard those people tried, the point was they weren't there when it happened. And the greater point was, the only way that they could truly experience God's power, Jesus' power for themselves, was if they went to where he was. Because Jesus was in human form, which meant he was limited in where he could be at once. And so people had to come and they had to see what he was doing, what he was saying. But truly, I believe God's heart for eternity was for people everywhere, even today in 2021, people everywhere to know his power on a personal level. But the only way that that was going to happen is if there was a culture shift. There had to be a culture shift because the current culture when Jesus was walking this earth was a come and see culture. You had to come and you had to see the things that Jesus was saying and doing. But this morning, I believe God wants to teach us about the culture shift that needs to even take place in 2021. If you need a title for this message, I want to give it to you right now. From come and see to go and tell. From come and see to go and tell. You see, here at Mount Horeb, we have a core value related to this, and it's called participation over observation. And though there is a time and a place, including this morning, for all of us to observe the things that God is doing in and through Mount Horeb, 
in and through his kingdom. I believe today God wants to show us what it's going to take for us to truly participate. Participate in the thing, things God wants to do in this world. And believe it or not, I believe that God wants to show you today he intends to use you alongside the person you're sitting next to. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful. We're thankful that you've met us here. We're, we're thankful that the Holy Spirit was moving in this room before any of us walked in. And we're thankful that he hasn't left. And I pray that this morning you would move Bryce Holdman out of the way so that Jesus Christ would be magnified. God, I pray that as we open your word together, we would receive the promise that it never returns void. And I pray that we would receive exactly what you need us to this morning, knowing that many of us have been coming and we've been seeing the amazing things that you're doing in and through Mount Horeb and in and through our lives. But now it's time for us to go and tell. Would you allow that truth to sink into our spirits deeply this morning? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you are already in the book of Acts, we're going to stay in chapter 1. I want you to turn with me to chapter 1, verse 8. Chad was hitting on verse 8 just a little bit last week, and he saved uh, the rest of it for myself and Pastor Jeff to talk about today. So we're starting in verse 8. The words are going to be on the screen if you'd like to follow along that way. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Now, these are the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples right before he entered back into heaven. And here's what he says, starting in verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way that you saw him go. Now, when Jesus makes this statement initially here, he's foreshadowing something that's going to take place a chapter later. You see, on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, that's when the Holy Spirit actually for the first time fills believers. It comes upon believers. He comes upon believers. But before the Holy Spirit even arrives, I think Jesus himself is attempting to shift the perspectives of his disciples. It's almost like he's saying, while I've been here with you, you, along with many other people, have come from miles around and you've been able to see me do incredible things. You've been able to hear me speak truth that you'll never forget. But now I'm going away. And I'm calling you to go and tell people everywhere that which you've seen and that which you have heard. And I think that within this very short passage, the one we just read, Jesus lays out for us the three things that it's going to take. The three things that we have to realize, first and foremost, that it takes to go and to tell about the love of Jesus Christ. And the first one is this, if you're taking notes, the people are sent. The people are sent. Here's what Jesus says one more time. You will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. And this command from Jesus doesn't just apply to the disciples standing around at the time, but it applies to all believers. You see, if, if you're here today physically or virtually, and you would say, Bryce, I have committed my life. I have submitted my everything to follow Jesus Christ. I believe that he is now desiring to send you out as a witness to what you've already experienced. But even if you know you're sent, even when we can say, yes, Jesus, I believe that what Acts 1-8 says is I am actually sent by you to go and tell someone about the good news of Christ, there's a follow-up question. And I think that the follow-up question goes something like this. What am I 
supposed to say. I know that I'm sent, but I don't really know what I'm supposed to say. What is a witness actually supposed to look like, speak like, act like? And that was the same question I was pondering prayerfully this week. And after a long time of doing so, I I landed on this idea. Often when it comes to going and telling people about our Savior, I think the Bible teaches us that it can start with our own story. When it comes with, to sharing Jesus Christ with someone else that doesn't know him, I think it has to start with our own story. There's this scene in the Gospel of John, chapter 9. You can turn there if you like. If not, I'll, I'll give you a summary of it. In John chapter 9, there's this scene where Jesus rolls up onto the scene and he heals a man who was born blind. You see, this man had been living without being able to see at all. And then Jesus comes onto the scene and he heals him in the moment. But when the Jewish leaders see that, see that he's healed, see that Jesus healed him on the Sabbath, which by their law says you can't do that, they start asking questions. And one of the questions that they are trying to ask, their, their root question when they bring the man in who had just been healed to question him is, is Jesus a sinner? We think Jesus is a sinner because by our law, he just healed on the Sabbath. He's not allowed to do that, so he must be a sinner. But how can he heal if he's a sinner? And there's, there's, there, there's all these different questions. And finally, this is so profound, the man that was once blind and now sees gets to the point in the midst of all their questioning and he says, here's the deal, guys. I don't know whether this guy Jesus is a sinner or not. I don't know much about this guy Jesus, actually. But here's what I do know. There was one point in my life, most of my life, where I could not see a thing. But now... Right in front of you, you're a witness as well. But now I can see. You see, what that man was doing was he was telling his story. As soon as Jesus healed him, he desired to use him. And as soon as he started to use him, all it took was him sharing, this is what God's done in my life. And I think that some of us have this this misconception that it is a requirement that we have the entire Gospel of John memorized and ready to recite when it comes to sharing our faith with someone. And that type of misconception intimidates us to the point where it keeps us from actually going and telling. But I'm willing to bet that if you have been walking with Jesus Christ for even a little while, maybe even just a few days, I believe that you can look back, do some self-reflection for just a few moments, and you can point out one or two areas at least that Jesus Christ has shown up in your story. And he's healed you from something. He saved you from something. He's mended something that was once broken. And you could declare with confidence the same message that this man that was born blind was able to declare in John chapter 9. I don't know everything there is to know about this Jesus guy. I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. I couldn't tell you much about him. But here's what I do know. He saw me when I couldn't see him. And he gave me a testimony that he's now calling me and inviting me to tell to someone else. And your testimony, it it may not look the same as this man did in John chapter nine, but I believe the desired outcome is identical to go and share it with someone else. But maybe today you're saying, Bryce, I, I hear everything you're saying. I agree with everything you're saying. I know that there have been moments in my past where I could point out, yes, Jesus, you've healed me from that thing but I'm still broken 
And there are points in my life where I still run back to that thing that God's already healed me from. I look at the sins that he nailed to the cross and I try to take them down and run back. I'm still broken. And so if, if I'm still broken and you're calling me to go talk about a God who has healed me from certain things, has, has, has made me whole in certain ways, but I keep running back to my brokenness, I feel like I won't be a quality witness. There's no way I'm qualified to do that. But it's so comforting for me to to see that within Scripture, pretty much everywhere you turn, especially in the Gospels, there's only one real requirement for being a witness. And it's that you're willing to be a witness. That you're willing to be used by God. Take the woman in John chapter 4. This is a story many of you probably know and are familiar with. In John chapter 4, Jesus has this encounter in Samaria, a foreign land. And he encounters a woman by a well. And this woman has some brokenness in her life. She's had five different husbands, and even the man she's currently living with at the time of her encounter with Jesus is not her husband. But even amidst all that brokenness, Jesus offers her living water so that she can be a witness. And what does she do? She runs back to the village nearby, the Bible says, and she tells as many people as she possibly can about the encounter she just had with the living God. You see, this woman... When I read that story, I see that she was more focused on what Jesus had just done in her life than whether she was qualified or not to go talk about it, whether she had the seminary degree or not, whether she knew the Bible front to back and had a photographic memory of every single word in that scripture memorized or not. She knew that Jesus had shifted something in her life. There's a pastor that I watch from afar that has a pretty large ministry in the Charlotte, North Carolina area. And he was telling a story one time when he was preaching at a church in Texas. He said that one time he was in his kitchen, he was doing something in his house, and he had the TV on YouTube in the other room. And he could faintly make out what was being said, and if you know anything about YouTube, the way it works is after you watch a video, often what will happen is YouTube itself will suggest and even play another video for you related to the video you just watched. And the pastor said that that's exactly what happened. And on this next video, he heard his name, his his own name on the video. And so he stopped what he was doing. He ran into the other room. He paused the video, rewound the video a little bit to get some context. And he hits play. And he says that on the screen, he sees two men. And one man is doing an interview with the other man. And the man being interviewed is a theologian that this pastor read about, this pastor knew a lot about, this pastor looked up to in many ways, wrote many papers on his books in seminary. And so naturally, he was excited about what was to come after he heard his name mentioned. And what was going on on the video was a word association game. It was an interview where the interviewer was asking the interviewee, the theologian, I'm going to give you a phrase, I'm going to tell you a word, and I need you to respond with one word immediately when I say it. And the first one up was this pastor's name. And upon hearing this pastor's name, the theologian slumped down into his chair. He had a disappointed look on his face. And he said, uh, unqualified unqualified. Now in the moment, the pastor shares that that tore him apart. Because you see, at at that point in his life, it was early on in his ministry, and he was asking that same question to himself on a day-to-day basis behind the scenes. Am I actually qualified to do the things that I'm doing? Yeah, I got a seminary degree. I didn't learn much. Yeah, I went to school before that. Yeah, I know a lot of people, and yeah, God's given me certain gifts, but am I qualified? And it put him farther in the pit he was already in of disqualification. But then, a 
couple years later, he came out with a book, one that I've personally read, and it's called Unqualified. And it's a New York Times bestseller. It sold over a million copies. And the reason is because the premise of that entire book is this principle that I believe God wants to teach us through his life and wants to teach us through the life of the woman in John 4. As long as you know you're called, you don't have to be qualified. You don't have to be qualified to go and do the things God's calling you to do as long as you recognize he's calling me. He's calling me to go. He's calling me to tell. You see, the key is that the disciples were sent. This wasn't an invitation. It was rather a proclamation. You will be my witnesses. The key is that we as believers, if we've said yes to Jesus Christ, we are being sent. And when it comes to being a witness, the only requirement God has for you is that you are willing to go and tell. But in our Acts chapter 1 passage, after Jesus sends out the people, he then specifies the place. The place that he calls the disciples to go is very, very specific. He says, you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. But then he gives a sequence for them to work off of. It's very interesting. He says, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and then finally to the ends of the earth. There's a map on the screen of what Jesus would have been talking about, the, the image that would have been in the disciples' heads when they hear this. You'll see that Jerusalem is in the middle of the screen in smaller font, in red. That's where the disciples were when they heard this. That's exactly where they were. Now, you see that Jerusalem is a part of the grand scheme of land called Judea. And then right above the land of Judea, you see the land of Samaria. And then obviously, finally, to the ends of the earth. You see, Jesus was helping the disciples think outside their box, outside of their own cities, outside of their own towns. But he made sure to show that though the ends of the earth would come eventually as reached with the gospel message, it has to start right where you are. It has to start nearby. And I wonder how many of us, if we're truly honest right now, when we think about missions, when we think about evangelism, when we think about going and telling someone about what Jesus has done in our life, we are quick to think about to the ends of the earth. And in the process, we miss the fact that God wants us to start in our Jerusalem, wants to start right where he's got us. You think I... I think God desires to do a little bit of rewiring work and it's the same rewiring work that he did in me just a few short years ago. I was at CIU for undergrad, as many of you know, and when I first transferred into CIU my freshman year, after spending one semester elsewhere, I started to take some mental notes of what I saw around me to best interact with the community that was at that college. And what I saw, one, one, one of the biggest things I saw was there were many fellow students of mine who felt called, very clearly called, to go overseas, do some sort of international mission work to spread the gospel. And don't get me wrong, that is an incredible thing. I'm praying for those people. I'm believing that God is going to do incredible things through those people to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. But what I allowed that to do to me is I started to believe this misconception that the only places with lots of people that needed Jesus Christ in their life were overseas. But then God started to show me. He started to show me that there was a, actually a great need for the gospel here in South Carolina, in Columbia, in Lexington, in our workplace, in our community, and maybe, just maybe, even in our families. And I think that one of the greatest tactics of the devil when it relates to the gospel is to convince God's people that in order to reach people for Christ, it's going to require a passport. But believe it or not, I believe that 
God desires to rescue many lost souls, even here, close to our home. And that's exactly what Jesus makes clear to the disciples when he lays out the path, when he specifies the place. Jesus was calling the disciples to begin their journey in places nearby, in places that they had actually been before. And when God opened my eyes to see that, I think he hit me with another thought. And here's the thought he hit me with. Um, sometimes the places that we've been aren't places that um, we want to go back to. The places that we've been sometimes are places that we've vowed to ourselves. I, I won't go back there. There's, there's too much disappointment there. There's too much pain there. There's, there was too much abuse there. There was too much frustration there. I can't go back. There's no way I'll, I'll ever go back. You see, when the disciples heard the word Jerusalem out of Jesus' mouth, what I think they were confronted with were the memories that they had sitting at a table eating their final meal with Jesus when they heard a lot of different things. They heard, I'm going to be betrayed by somebody in this room. I'm going to be arrested because of that same somebody. I'm going to be put on trial falsely. And then I'm going to be put on a cross just like that one for something I didn't do. When they heard the word Judea, the land of Judea, they remembered the persecution that Jesus' message faced due to Pontius Pilate and the Roman rule at the time. And then even when they heard Samaria, I think they thought back to his rejection in Luke chapter 9. Because it was clear to see that all throughout the New Testament, Jews and Samaritans notoriously did not associate with one another. You see, Jesus was calling the disciples to go to places and talk about Jesus' love, talk about his saving grace, his salvation, talk about all that he is in places that he himself was not even welcome. And maybe today, God's calling you, God's stirring something in you to share your hope found only in the cross of Christ with someone that you're disconnected to right now. It's a disconnected relationship in your extended family and it's been that way for some time, and we know that a big reason for that disconnect is because your relationship with Christ just isn't welcome. It turns them off to even watch you living it out, let alone speak about it. And even now, in this moment, it's creating hesitancy within you to even think about the possibility that God might be calling you to go back to that place, to that person and restore. Or maybe it's that coworker that we sit next to every single day, but since that one time that we answered the phone and had a prayer with someone over the phone and they heard it, there's been a disconnect. There's been a relational shift between us. And we've invited them to church many, many times here at Mount Hora, but they haven't come once. And so because of that, today maybe God is stirring something that it's time for you to go and tell on a one-on-one -on -one personal level, maybe even in the workplace. You know, one of my favorite things that God has ever shown me came when I was sitting in a dorm room in college all by myself. And in this season of my life, I was feeling the same thing every day when I woke up. I feel like my joy is being stolen. I feel like my joy is being stolen. I don't have any joy for some reason. And if you knew anything about me back then, if you know anything about me now, if there's one thing I try my best to always have, it is energy and joy. And so when my joy was being stolen from me, or at least I felt like it was, it, it frustrated me. And I was sitting in my dorm room and I was reading through the book of Matthew for actually one of my classes. It, it wasn't even on my personal time. And I got to chapter 16, and I got to verse 24. 
of chapter 16. And there's one thing that Jesus says in verse 24 to his disciples. And I heard him saying it to me so clearly. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. And what God showed me is that my natural tendency is to follow that command until it gets too difficult. And I'll be carrying my cross. God, I'm so ready. I've been coming and I've been seeing. I'm ready to start going and telling. Just show me the people. Open the doors. I know it's you that's going to do it. Let's do this together. I'm so excited. But um, I set it down when God calls me to go somewhere that's uncomfortable or that I told him I, I, I can't go there or when I'm tempted to go somewhere that he's actually leading me elsewhere. I'm so easily willing to carry the cross that Jesus is inviting me to carry until it gets too uncomfortable and then it creates hesitancy and then it finally gets to the point where I set the cross down. Chances are God may be calling us to go someplace uncomfortable and simply go and tell. Tell of our story. Tell of what God's done in our life. And if you were to read through the rest of the book of Acts, which we will be doing together in this series, what you are going to see is that the disciples did eventually go and tell in the places and in the ways that Jesus commanded them to in Acts 1.8. And so the question that we're left with today is this. Why, or maybe how, did the disciples get to a place within themselves where they eventually said, it's time to go? Because if, if you remember what we read a few moments ago, Acts 1.8 is not the whole story. That after Acts 1.8, the, the disciples are standing around and they're looking up to heaven because they're, they're seeing their Savior and their Lord and their person that they've put every bit of trust within them in, leaving, exiting the scene, and they've got to be thinking to themselves, Jesus, you are calling us to do some similar things that you did, but now you're leaving. This doesn't make sense. And so what made them get to the place where they actually went and they told and they did what God called them to do. I think it was this one statement. They recognized that the power was the Spirit's. They knew that the power was not their own. They knew that the Holy Spirit was going to empower them. Acts 1.8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And isn't it incredible that Jesus Christ makes it clear to us that when he sends us out, we don't have to go alone. Before the disciples can even ask themselves whether or not they are adequate, they are recognizing Jesus' promise to send them an advocate. I'm sending you someone that's going to stay in you and go with you on the journey. You don't have to rely on your own strength, on your own power, on your own eloquency with your words, on your own ability, on your own qualifications. You just have to be willing to let me do my thing. Trust Jesus that he sent you the Holy Spirit when you've said yes to him. And he's willing to do what only he can do. I think God's trying to get our attention on this really simple truth. If we will simply be the vessel, Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will provide the victory. But that requires us to be the vessel. And I just wonder how many of us are still stuck in a strictly come and see mentality because we can't see Jesus face to face. We're stuck in this comfort level of coming to church every Sunday, coming to midweek every Wednesday, coming to the online Bible study we have every Tuesday night, and we see the things that God's doing. We receive them, and we're even growing from them. But now, 
I believe God needs you to shift to a new posture. To not only just come and see, but now go and tell so that someone else can come and see. And when Jesus ascends back into heaven, the disciples were watching him go and thinking to themselves, how on earth are we going to do this? But then they came to the recognition that we don't have to do this alone. And many of us have stayed where we are in the come and see mentality because we are convinced that we don't have what it takes when in reality we never needed to have what it takes. In fact, Jesus Christ all throughout scripture is choosing people who the world says do not have what it takes and showing that it's his power that unravels his purposes. And I know that many of us want to believe that with everything we've got. But it's one thing to believe it and receive it. It's another thing to actually trust it when we wake up in the morning. And I think that the, the, the disciples were able to think back to the words of Jesus in John 14, 12 as their morning motivation, as their daily motivating point that they came to this conclusion when Jesus says this, John 14, 12, I tell you the truth, anybody who believes in me will do the same works I've done and even greater works because I'm going to the Father. And when Jesus goes to the Father, he sends the Holy Spirit to us, to fill us, and to go with us. I believe that's the promise of God today. It's a very simple promise. The promise of God is that when you say yes to Jesus Christ, he's going to fill you with his Holy Spirit to guide you for the rest of your life. In every conversation, in every business meeting, in every difficult conversation you have to have with your family, in every single moment, I believe that the Holy Spirit is promising that he will be with you. But it requires us to be willing to be used by him. And so my question for us as we close is, is this. The question is not, do you have what it takes? Many of us, all of us in this room actually, don't have what it takes. The question is rather this, do you have who it takes to do the things that God wants to do in your life and through your life? Maybe today, the Holy Spirit right now in this room or in the room that you're watching from right now, you feel like there's a knocking on your heart because you feel like there's a void in your life and the Holy Spirit wants to enter, but there's something blocking the way. And in order for the Holy Spirit to come in, you've got to say yes to Jesus Christ personally. Before you can ever even be used to reach someone else, I believe Jesus is reaching out right now from the cross that he was on. When he got there willingly for your sins and mine, I believe that he was trying to show us, I'm reaching out to you because I want you to have a personal relationship with me so that I can fill you with the Holy Spirit. My own power is on a personal level when you accept the presence of Christ in your life. For others of us, those of us who have met Jesus before, who've been walking with him for some time now, chances are that there was someone in your past that decided to be used by God to open a door for you to accept Christ. But then they opened another door. They opened a door to a place like Mount Horeb on a weekly basis that you come and you receive what God has for you through worship, through God's word, through fellowship, even with masks on. Someone opened the door. And I believe that today what God desires you take away from everything he wants to say to you this morning is this, that it's time for us as the Mount Horeb community to be door holders for someone else. There are many people, as soon as we exit this place, 
As soon as we go out those doors that right above those doors say you're now entering the mission field, it's a true statement. There are many people out there that need to come in here or some other place like it. They need to come and see, but the only way they come and see is if we decide to go and tell. We have to be willing to take that step. God, I know that I can't see you face to face. I know that it's uncomfortable. I know that I've had a misconception that only the pastors at Mount Horeb need to be the ones going and telling. But I see now that it is time for you to use me and I'm willing to go and to share my story. If there's one thing I think God wants from your life is to show you already that he's given you a testimony and he's inviting you to go tell it to someone. If you've got the willingness to be a witness, if you're available to go anywhere God may call you to go, and if you are aware of the Holy Spirit's leading in your life, which is a very real thing, I believe that the first thing God's going to do is he's going to move your feet, and then he's going to open your mouth to speak so that ultimately someone else that doesn't know Christ can take a seat at the table of God for all eternity that he's been inviting him to. If you don't feel the knocking on your heart and you've already met Jesus, chances are God desires to knock on someone's heart that's in your life. And what if, what if God is calling you to take an uncomfortable step, a step of faith that you have to be solely reliant on the Holy Spirit's power or else it will fail. Trust me, I'm speaking from personal experience. He's calling you to take that step of faith, believing that he's the only one who can provide that power. Because here's the reality. Many of us in this room, if not all of us in this room, there's someone that you could picture in your mind right now. I know I can. That you want to be praising alongside in heaven one day. But in this very moment, you and I both know that they're destined for a very different place. And we've been praying for them. We've been asking God to save them. If you're like me, you've been praying prayers that God, would you send someone, send someone to share Jesus with them? Would you come join me for church? You'll hear all about Jesus. Well, maybe today is the day that you take a step off the sideline that you've been sitting on. I'm guilty of that many times. God wants to use you in the game. God wants to put you as a participant in the kingdom of God. But the only way that that happens is if you first take a step of faith. You say, God, all I am, all I need to be is willing to be a witness. Would you pray with me? As we close in prayer today, I want you to spend just a moment and picture someone in your mind right now that you know needs Christ in their life. This could be a family member. This could be a friend. This could be the person that you've been inviting to church for years and they haven't come once. But you know that they need Christ and you know that Christ is willing to save them and forgive them of everything they've ever done. Just as he did you. I want us to picture that person as we pray this morning, inviting God to show us how he intends to use us to reach out to that person so that they may find the living water he can give. Father, we're thankful. We're thankful and we're grateful for the times in our life where you met us when you didn't have to. Thank you so much for the opportunity and the invitation right now to be used by you to play a role in the magnificent story of the gospel that you're writing. I thank you that there is a great need in even our community here, one that is not too far gone. 
and one that can be reached as long as we are willing to reach out. I pray for that person that's been on the fence about talking to the people in their life about their story. I pray that that person would be set over the edge right now. They'd be lit on fire for Christ and that flame would not be one that the devil nor anything else in all creation could ever extinguish. I pray that they would know without a doubt that your power is the one that provides the breakthrough. It's not us. It's never been us. And I pray that you would move us out of the way. You would take our names out of the equation and you would allow us to share our story of redemption with the person that we're picturing right now, this week. Would you open a door that only you can open for that to happen? And I pray that when we and that person look back on the breakthrough that was provided, we would have one man to thank, we'd have one man to point to, and his name's Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that the promise of your word is that it never returns void. And I pray that that would be true this morning, that regardless of what was received, specifically and uniquely to every person under the sound of my voice, I pray that we would take it and we wouldn't just come and see more of it and more of what you're doing, but rather we would come, we would see, and then we would go and we'd share the love of Christ that we've experienced on a personal level through the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we give you all the honor. We give you all the praise and all the glory that you alone are the only one worthy of. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, I invite you to stand right where you are. If you're watching online, I invite you to stand. If you're in your car, you have my permission to stay seated. And we're going to move into a final time of worship, singing the song, Here I Am, Lord. Because the truth is, God sees us right where we are. And he's inviting us to take a deeper step into our relationship with him by inviting him to invade the parts of us that he's trying to use for his glory and his kingdom's causes.